Coming up on This Week in Games, Congregate effectively ends its web portal, sexual assault allegations hit the fighting game industry, and Amazon Game Studios pulls down its only live game. Coming up, This Week in Games. It's that time of the week for your video game industry news rundown. I'm your host, Eric McConnell, and this was a massive, massive week of news, both positive and negative in our industry. Honestly, it's one of those weeks where I had to cut way more stories than I covered because I couldn't possibly get everything done in whatever made-up time frame I have for each episode. I mean, like, just researching this stuff probably took, like, six hours. Um, tons of stuff. I just got back from a trip. It's super late at night here but I'm recording for you guys. So let's kick it off. Web and mobile publisher Congregate distances itself from Flash games, web portals, and their own platform. So Congregate announced its famed web portal will no longer be accepting new game submissions to be approved and released. It plans on preserving existing Flash games on Congregate.com, but will no longer be the go-to web portal for Flash games developers and players as Congregate com will now no longer be accepting new submissions for games to be released on it. Congregate.com was created in 2006 and as of July counts over 128,000 Flash games. This decision has naturally led to layoffs of a sizable portion of their staff because Congregate, you know, is well known for many years to be positioned around web portals and Flash games. Employees who were laid off claimed layoffs were sudden and without any warning. Congregate wants to focus on internal development for their line of mobile games, as well as acquisitions, and rightfully so, as kind of this is an end to a major era of the game industry. So for those who don't know, web portals were once a way for like single solo developers or tiny small development teams to pay the bills and support themselves. You could potentially get thousands of dollars for a pretty good web game, and some some like Flash games, you know, theoretically could were pulling in thousands of dollars a month, you know, from some of these web portals. Board students in schools would rely on web portals in the 90s for quick gaming fixes and to fight boredom in classrooms. Like, I remember, I don't know, like the mid to late 90s, we all had to take typing classrooms and other stuff uh, in middle school. And soon enough, we found all these web portal games and just played web portal games instead of like, you know, typing like something about something and counting our words per minute web portals were huge but again we're in 2020 and i'm talking about the last time i meaningfully used web portals was in middle school in the mid to late 90s so kind of see the downfall of web portals from there congregate was responsible for building a lot of studios that still exist today so their work in web portals and flash games and things like that can't be understated but again ask yourself when was the last time you played a web portal game Probably not that recently. All right, next up, publishers dip their toes in raising the prices of Xbox Series X and PlayStation 5 games. So ooh, this is going to piss off some people. Take-Two announced that NBA 2K21 will be $10 more on Xbox Series S and PS5 than the Xbox One and PS4 version, and other publishers may follow suit. 2K Sports has also stated that free upgrades, i.e., if someone buys the PS4 version of the game, can they freely upgrade to the PS5 version at a later date? will not be available for NBA 2K21. Is this the first sign of a generational hike price? Yeah, I think so. I mean, it's pretty obvious. Publishers are eagerly awaiting to see what, if any, backlash will come to Take-Two and 2K Sports for the $10 price hike. 
And I'll honestly say, console games have been $60 since, like, what, the PS2 era? Before that, they've been $50 for many, 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 many years before that. Um, I can think of the only time this standard was broken, and that's in the early days of Nintendo 64, where you could see outlandish games like Superman 64 go for, like, $70, maybe. Um, But, you know... Games regularly break $100, $200 million in development costs and another $50 to $200 million in marketing costs, as opposed to like the PS2 era days when like $4 million was considered an expensive game. And although games have generally zero distribution costs, especially digitally, meaning it doesn't, once I make a game, it doesn't cost much to digitally send it to a million people versus a billion people. Um, the max reach of consoles has somewhat been reached, uh, especially for North American developers like you have your major, you have Europe, you have North America, you have parts of Asia. Antarctica doesn't really have console games. I don't know what the console gaming scene is really in Africa, maybe outside of uh, more westernized African areas like maybe South Africa or Nigeria. And consoles have kind of reached critical mass. They're not really going to happen in China, it seems like. So although games generally have zero... Uh, distribution costs, they either need to make up this, you know, forever increasing marketing and development budget costs with cheap DLC that makes tons of money or in-app purchases that target wells to pick up the sweet (laughs) revenue slack that the games, the game costs should pick up. You know, unfortunately, I have to agree, you have to start charging more for these games. It doesn't make sense. And it's like, do you guys want games to charge you for loot boxes or in-app purchases after you paid for a $60 game? then you need to pay for more up front. And, you know, going the other direction is just going to lead to more anger, whereas paying for more up front, yes, you're going to get less games over the year, but you're going to be happier with the games you get, theoretically. Um, <laughs> honestly, games should be between probably like $40 and $90, depending on their content and costs. Like, there's no reason a simple 10-hour game should cost $60, but at the same time, there's no reason GTA V or Skyrim or, you know, we'll just say GTA 6 and The Elder Scrolls 6 should cost $60 just like, you know, some other game that's released alongside of them that's just a 10-hour single-player uh, content. Those games maybe should be $90. Like, you're going to be playing The Elder Scrolls 6 for hundreds of hours. The cost should represent that. Same with GTA 6, the amount of money that goes into voice acting, modeling, and building the content of the world, building the world, having the game systems, doing all this know you guys you're gonna have to pay more for games it's unfortunate but like 60 dollars is a joke because especially considering how much they cost to make all right next up amazon game studio suffers another massive loss as crucible their lone game that is released really is pulled from open beta almost as randomly as it was released so kotaku wins a headline contest contest for this story Kotaku's headline was, quote, Amazon's Crucible flops so hard it's being unreleased, end quote. Great. That's, that's a great headline. You know, it's not really worth breaking down how and why Crucible failed. Uh, I mean, come on. Let's just go look it up. <laughs> this is more of a story of really Google and Amazon and the game industry. Both companies are so high up on their own name and stock price that they think Everything will just succeed, succeed, and gamers will pay attention to them solely because they are Google and Amazon. That's how it works in many other departments in their companies. So, of course, it's going to work that way in games. Well, it doesn't. You know, Crucible is released with zero build-up hype or marketing. It wasn't even a stealth launch like Apex Legend, who at least took over Twitch for like a week or two. 
it was more like an absent launch. Like they had one person, the day Crucible was launched, someone texted me, hey, Amazon Game Studios launched a game randomly. And I went, what? And they're like, yeah, check out Twitch. So I go on Twitch and only one sponsored stream was playing Crucible, one. And it was a person I never even heard of. Like they should have had Dr. Disrespect. They should have had, you know, Ninja and Shroud on Mixer playing Crucible. Everyone should be playing Crucible for two weeks. Amazon has plenty of money. Like, there's no reason. They should have took over Twitch. Two weeks of playing Crucible, win free packs if you watch streams, download the game instantly, some other sense. Like, should have been a big hype event. Instead, it was like more like a question mark. Like, did they mean to release it? What's going on? Did I miss something? And then you realize, no, I didn't miss anything. I think Amazon missed something, which is how to launch a game in the game industry. You know, the cultures that Amazon and Google are built in industries where really numbers decide who gets users and who doesn't. It's like they compete on platforms where access and technological advantages are almost all that matters. Like those are the most important things. Whereas the game industry, you know, access does matter, but not in the same way. And, you know, Stadia is a great example of that. Like gamers don't need Stadia because Stadia really isn't that much better than just downloading a game on Steam or downloading a game digitally to your PS4 and installing it. Like Stadia doesn't really win on that <laughs> that alone, right? Especially with the games that are exist right now. Um, and the cultures that build those companies like Google and Amazon almost don't exist anymore. So what Google was circa 2001 and maybe even all the way up to like 2010 2016 isn't what google is today like now google and amazon are about exerting pressures with their massive walled gardens so google has like data and platforms google has more data than anyone on earth and they have platforms like android the google assistant their ad platforms youtube and amazon has logistics distribution retail and cloud services but none of those help you develop advertise or really offer groundbreaking content within hit games. And so that's really the problem. That's what they don't get. They don't get that the game industry is more like movies or pop music. It's about hype. And you have to have the quality to back up the hype. But if the hype isn't there, it doesn't matter what the game is, you know. And I don't know. I'm, I'm really afraid we're going to see more and more millions and millions of dollars getting flushed down the drain. These companies getting mad at the game industry. I... <laughs> It's, it's, what's even weirder is Amazon owns Twitch. So Amazon could even be like really nasty and just push Crucible as hard as they can because they actually own Twitch. And they're not even going down that route. Like it's almost like they didn't want it to succeed to begin with. But anyways, got to move on. We have so many stories. Can't, can't stop in one story too much. We just got to plow through them. Sorry, people. <laughs> All right. Next up, more fallout over continue sexual harassment. Uh, sexual assault and rape allocations hit the game industry. So first, we got to talk about Ubisoft. So Ubisoft is having its culture and leadership being called into question. To its exec, Ubisoft's editorial department mentioned last week's episode um, are under increased scrutiny. Maxime Belland resigned amidst the allegation and pressure. Generally a sign that you're guilty and it's all, you know, with due reason that you have these allegations and pressures to resign. Tommy Francois is placed on disciplinary leave, and another unnamed Ubisoft Toronto employee where Berlin is located has also been terminated for their behavior. There's also been calls out for Ubisoft CEOs, 
Yves Golomont, who has been CEO since 2000, to resign for not cultivating professional culture, not keeping his own executives in line. Like, I mean, this is the most important job a CEO can have is keep your own executives from fucking up your company. And this is about as terrible as a, of a culture and of executives as you could have. And, you know, I don't have time to cover it because, again, way too many things to cover it. But Gamma Sutra has an amazing article by Chris Kerr. It's linked in the show notes, and it details more and more about Ubisoft's complaints, how they weren't addressed, how nothing was ever addressed when it was brought up, and how the culture of Ubisoft allows for such behavior to continue without repercussion for those unprofessional behavior or incidences. The article asks really the most important question, which is how can those be responsible for enabling the terrible behavior at Ubisoft also be responsible for cleaning up the culture, which goes back to like, why is the CEO even there? Why are some of the HR there? Why are all these executives who are responsible for covering this up and creating this like culture um, that didn't allow for people who are having real problems, their voices to be heard and everything was swept under the rug and everything was like kind of like all about rank and file. Um, why are they still there? You know, you you can't just fire the bad people. You got to fire the people who help the bad people be bad. And it's just how it is. All right, next up, over 50 top Super Smash Brothers pro players were called out for sexual harassment or assault, a lot having to disgustingly do with minors and people known to be under the age of consent. So um, some of the pro players are Nairo, Anti, Kitaro, Senpai, and Zero, and many, many more have been accused of everything from bad behavior to forcing minor and sexual acts. Um, some These are literally the top players in the Super Smash Brothers community. Most of the allegations have actually been admitted to, which is terrible. Um, ugh, this is truly a dark revelation for the Smash Brothers community, and one that the community might not you know, rightfully recover from. It is almost all the top personalities and players, including allegation against female players sexually harassing or sexually assaulting male players. So it's so bad in the Super Smash Bros. community. Like, whenever we say this, we, we almost universally, I think everyone assumes that this is just male on female or male on male sexual assault, sexual harassment. I mean, Senpai is, is a female Super Smash Bros. commentator and player. Like, it's rough. Like, the Smash Bros. community pretty much maybe should die at this point and then wait a while and have something else raise up and replace it. And, you know, the entire fighting game community itself is put on notice and needs to look at itself in the mirror as the CEO of Evo Fighting Game Championships, the premier fighting game tournament held annually in Las Vegas, has had multiple credible allegations against him. Joey Mr. Wizard Swella, I don't know how to pronounce his last name, has been accused of paying underage boys for sexual acts and has basically admitted to the acts. He has been removed as CEO of Evo. Evo has been canceled this year and almost all the games, commentators, players, and staff have distanced themselves from the tournament. You know, you guys have probably heard me talk about this. I have tons of great memories from watching Evo moments uh, dating back to 2009, watching them live on the Ustream. I used to order the Evo DVDs way back in the day because that was really the only way to watch Evo if you couldn't go. I've attended Evo in person multiple times. That being said, I'll be happy if it dies and the community takes a break for a while and reassesses itself and figures out something else to do. Like, it's very clear. You know, the fighting game community isn't the most professional thing. It wasn't set up to actually have massive success and money that it does and clearly can't handle itself 
under this broad of view and you know this level of professionalism i i think maybe it's time all these things die maybe the companies take back their games maybe capcom is the only one who runs capcom tournaments arxis is the only one who runs guilty gear and dragon ball fighter z tournaments and so on and so on and you know the fighting gaming community reassesses itself and you know same with smash brothers like I think Smash Brothers community should just die. Like all the tournaments should cease. Everything should just stop. And like really uh, maybe Nintendo needs to step in and control everything about it. Maybe something, you know, something needs to happen because this is, this is not okay. It's really, really bad. Like when all the top players of your community have come out with what's being alleged against them, terrible. When the CEO of the most prominent tournament in history has these allegations terrible you know it's just it's not good all right moving on all everything's leaked in the show notes go check it out if you uh, want more information a lot of the smash brothers stuff is still coming out so i might not even have all the top players listed there but next up next story the uk house of lords wants to reclassify loot boxes as gambling so the house's select committee on the social and economic impact of the gaming gambling industry met and produced a long list of recommendations for the game industry. Most interesting are those around loot boxes. The most important quote from this was, quote, we echo the conclusion of the Children's Commission report that if a product looks like gambling and feels like gambling, then it should be regulated as gambling, end quote. The ball is moving further to regulate video games IEPs, whether it be the Children's Commission's call to ban all non-cosmetic IEPs in video games or the Department of Digital Culture, Media, and Sports' call to regulate game, game loot boxes as gambling, I almost feel like it's inevitable. And it, it pretty much looks like it's inevitable. The UK Parliament is going to do something. Um, my wild prediction out of left field is loot boxes will get regulated as gambling. So any type of randomized reward that you pay real money for that has implement, implications on the impact of the game that aren't just the equivalent of fodder like cosmetics will be regulated as gambling. Maybe it should, maybe it shouldn't. I don't really like think philosophically about these things, but something needs to happen and it's going to happen. And as an industry, we need to be prepared. So the report linked in the show notes is another step towards this. Um, you know, the game industry is going to lose its main revenue drip uh, evaluations that game companies get to the tune of software as a service companies are going to be lost. So game companies are getting evaluated at higher, higher multiples because they're effectively software as a service companies with in-app purchases and the ability to employ thousands of people off of one game that pulls in millions of dollars in daily revenue for over a decade will likely be lost as well. Like we didn't see that before IEPs. And if we take away, like, let's say all non-cosmetic IEPs are regulated, we're going to lose, you know, that part of the game industry. And, you know, it's not going to be good or bad. Things are just going to change. Like, I say it's time to find the next economic structure to create games under, and maybe it's time for like things like Microsoft Game Pass or, you know, what everyone says, the Netflix subscription for games. It's time for them to be explored and for them to show themselves because it looks like, you know, the IEP, the loot boxes, randomized rewards, people paying for stuff to unblock, you know, their progression in the game, all that nonsense not going to be here in 10 years. That's my prediction. So let's, let's, you know, move on before the government forces us to. All right, next up, Tencent makes their sites at North America 
AAA Game Studio official. So Tencent officially announces what has been rumored for a while. Lightspeed LA is the name of the official Tencent AAA Game Studio in North America. To lead the new studio, Tencent has tapped my former Rockstar San Diego GM, Steve Martin. Um, I worked at Rockstar San Diego from 2014 to 2016 on RDR2. Steve Martin was a GM. I didn't have like an infinite number of like interactions with him, um, but I'm very interested to see what he does under Tencent. I'm also interested to see like, is he in complete control? Is Tencent in control? Is this his studio? Like, It'll be it'll be interesting. Their first game is an open world game for PS5 and Xbox Series X. They have a lot of key hires, but it's also unclear as to whether, you know, they're really deep in development on this game or is this like the plan for now. It's also interesting because like Dice LA has some talent acquisition competition in terms of staffing up a new AAA studio, and tons of other AAA studios have lost key talent and need to be restaffed. Uh, Sony Santa Monica comes to mind. LA seems to be re-aggregating the AAA talent in North America. So before the big mobile boom, LA, I, I guess, could be called the AAA game development capital of the game industry. You you had a lot in Orange County with Blizzard and a few other companies, but uh, LA seemed to be the center of it. Mobile came. Mobile was mostly based out of SF. Talent dispersed. Uh, seems like LA's re-aggregating talent for AAA studios. I like it, you know. LA could actually support studios and people, um, the pay, like you can live a nicer lifestyle for the pay in LA than clearly SF where you're competing against Google, you know, all these ridiculous Google and Facebook salaries. So yeah, good job. Let's see what Tencent does. Let's see what a, a Tencent AAA North American game and game studio looks like. I'm excited. And then let me go over some quick hits that barely were left on the cutting room floor. First up, Apple is cutting ties with Apple Arcade developers and ending contracts as it refocuses on games with high retention. Really not a good sign for Apple Arcade in general. Um, It seems more like Apple is realizing there is a reason games as a service dominates mobile for uh, a reason, I guess. And uh, that, you know, although there are a lot of cute and quirky indie games on Apple Arcade, let's face it, like, I don't want to be mean, but let's just say, like, 60% 60% of them shouldn't have been funded in the first place. Like, it's just an honest truth. They were more or less like uh, high-quality student projects, um, weren't going to set the world on fire. And, uh, yeah, I I mean, when you're going, oh, we're going to refocus Apple Arcade on exactly what's working on non-Apple Arcade, I don't know. It's not a good sign to me. We'll see what happens. Next up, Supercell co-founder Miko Cody Sojo leaves after 10 years at Supercell. Okay. Andy McNamara, Andy McNamara, sorry, Andy, can't pronounce your last name, Game Informer Editor-in-Chief, leaves the publication after 29 years. Oh, my God. I haven't stayed at a company for, like, more than two years. I can't even imagine spending 29 years at one. That's sad. Um, Hopefully, you move on to something else, man, because 29 years as an Editor-in-Chief at Game Informer, you can't leave the industry for good. You got to do something else, man. You got to stay in the industry. And last but not least, Sonic the Hedgehog movie co-producer DJ2 Entertainment has revealed plans for a Disco Elysium TV series. I'll definitely check that out as you guys hear. I'm always up on Disco Elysium. All right. There's a lot of business news this week. Obviously, it's already running late for my normal episodes, so I cut it down to one thing. This was the most important business news of the week. 
Discord raises $100 million to expand its focus and services beyond the game industry. So after a failed digital store and a appeared to me failed premium subscription called Nitro, Discord now looks further beyond the game industry to increase its market cap as it raises $100 million in a new venture round. So this is strange, quite difficult. Um, it's, it's a quite difficult pivot for a company, especially one that has an aggressive game sounding name like Discord. Like Discord sounds like you're arguing on a game. Like that's, that's exactly what the name invokes in my mind. And so it's hard for a company like that, especially to now target something more lucrative like the crowded enterprise tech space that Zat, Slack, Zoom, Facebook, Google, Microsoft, all these companies dominate. Like Microsoft has Skype and Teams. Google has like Duo and Hangouts and I'm sure they have like Android and all these other like ways to communicate. Facebook has Messenger and they have WhatsApp. I said Slack and Zoom. There's other third-party ones. I mean, heck, even Tencent with WeChat, it's really going to be hard for Discord to carve out something to rebrand itself. Man, it's an uphill battle. Uh, Discord's new tagline is your place to talk, but I don't know. Uh, even more puzzling is Discord's jump from a $2 billion valuation at the end of 2018 to a $3.5 billion valuation at the time of this venture round. In my mind, an argument could be made that Discord should be less valuable given its failed expansions, meaning that really all it is is a chat app for gamers because it seems like advertising hasn't really paid off for Discord, but the Forbes article actually cites Nitro subscription as one of the main reasons for the jump in evaluation. So either I'm stupid or their numbers are just like out of control and we just don't know them. Like maybe the, the Nitro subscription numbers go up and to the right. Maybe they don't. I don't know. What I got to say is good luck, Discord. The chat video call space is insanely crowded and competitive. Um, if you succeed, like, you know, I... I, I I think about this like Twitch, like Twitch desperately, especially a few years ago, wanted to rebrand itself as not just for games, right? They wanted to be cooking, they wanted to be talk shows, they wanted to be like uh, workout stuff, they wanted to be all these things. And they put a lot of effort in not being just games, right? Because nobody wants to be just games unless you're in the game industry, and Twitch was owned by Amazon. Discord looks like they don't want to just be a chat platform for games and they desperately want to pivot into all these other things. I just don't see this working out. I, you know, even game consoles try to pivot in other entertainment and fail. I just, when you become something for the game industry, it's both your curse and your biggest like advantage, right? The game industry is very lucrative, very passionate people. They're very loyal to certain brands. At the same time, no one else out of the game industry wants to touch you with a 10 foot pole because you're the game industry. So it's good and bad. I wish good Lord, I wish uh, Discord good luck, but uh, gonna be tough. Let's see if you do it. You could set the blueprint that like business schools will be studying for years on how to break out of the game industry and make money. So all the power to you, Discord. All right, that's it. If you like what you hear, please hit the subscribe button on your favorite podcast app. Also, leave me a comment and let me know how I'm doing. You can email me at eric at thisweekingames.com if you have any comments or suggestions on future stories. Lastly, please check out the show notes for any stories you heard on today's episode. I mentioned a ton, ton of stories. I had to fly through everything. Sorry if this was like last minute. I just got off the plane. I wanted to record tonight, get this episode out for you guys. 
I'm Eric McConnell. That's it for this week in games, and I'll see you guys next week. I hope you guys take care. Stay safe. Bye.